in the water Let it pour onto you Let it bring all your dreams to Hey, this is J.P. Ross, back with In The Scene Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Today we've got a great podcast for you with Mark Usick. The thing I want to talk about before we get into Mark is that uh, this correlates to Mark being on our podcast. Fly fishing in general many times associates the fishing experience and everything that goes along with it and a philosophy. And those philosophies generally coincide with life and how we view life and how fishing corresponds to life and how we deal with all of the garbage and happiness associated with life. There's a lot to deal with these days. There always has been, really. So we've got Mark Usick here, and he's going to talk a little bit about that. If you don't know Mark, Mark is part of uh, J.P. Ross. He is an author. He has a couple books out, which uh, you can find on our website and on Amazon and many other places. He has a streamer junkie blog on the J.P. Ross website. He refers to himself as the self-proclaimed marginal fisherman and has his own YouTube channel, which gets a lot of hits, a lot of subscribers. But it's all really about kind of his words and his words of wisdom and his words about fishing and life. And they're usually like these little snippet tidbits. And they're really good. They kind of remind me of, uh, in a weird way, about the uh, Saturday Night Live Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Uh, If you're as old as I am, you'll remember those. So we're going to talk to Mark Eustick today, and uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's really, really fun in regards to what he he gets into. We've been a little slow on some of the podcasts. That's just because of uh, it's the summertime and stuff like that. I do want to give you a little teaser, though. We've got Jamie Frazier coming up from Adirondack Mountain and Stream. He's a guide that I've known for a long time and worked with him. Pete Burns of Beaver Brook Outfitters uh, up in North Creek up on the Hudson. He's going to be on our show, and we're going to have an interview with him. Carrie Ray is uh, the owner, and she just started a company called Fisher of Zen. She's down in Texas. She's a a terrific musician. I can't believe her, how great her stuff is. You can find it on Apple Music, Carrie Ray, and the Shaky Legs. And then we're also going to have Brian Spinner from White Dog, uh, White Dog Outdoors. He's got a terrific YouTube channel. He's going to talk to us about check nymphing and, and a little bit about how he's been so successful doing what he's doing. So I hope you enjoy this episode of In The Seam Podcast. Please check us out also online at jprossflyrods.com or smallstreamflyfishing.com. And I hope you love this music, too, by my good friend Jason Maloney, who I went to high school with. Here comes Mark Usick. With just the rhythm of your heart. All right, so here we go. So, Mark, welcome to In the Scene Podcast. Cheers. Great. It's like hot out, but we have ice cubes in our... (laughs) In our uh, Jameson, so it's all good. Jingle, jingle. You can hear it in our Yeti cups. Um, so we've been... I've been waiting a while to do this because I wanted to make sure that I had the sound down and stuff because I think that this is probably going to end up being a series of conversations talking to you. The way I do a lot of the podcasts getting started is, is I always want the guests to kind of give an introduction on themselves, talk a little bit about themselves for a second. So... 
I know you're comfortable doing this, I so really, let her... <laughs> I really hate talking about myself. <laughs> Go ahead, start. I don't know what there is to say. I think I think you're going to ask me a bunch of stuff that's going to make me talk about my stuff, myself. Um, I don't know. Who are you? Where are you from? Okay. All that stuff. So, I'm Mark Yusick. Nice to meet you. And I am from right here in central New York, upstate New York, but downstate people think they are upstate and upstate people think we're central it's one of those ridiculous things listen i'm from new york smack dab in the middle of the state um and i've been a few places and done a few things and now i'm here and all i do is fish so i know a lot about you and although you're from central new york from the utica rome mohawk valley area you haven't always been here no, you've, you've I moved been around a you've little. been around yeah you've been around a little bit right yeah tell us about I mean that. I moved around and as a kid in school from town to town to school to school and then I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school so I went in the Air Force went in the military because I had no idea what I wanted to do and that led me a few places which places like well so I've been to I lived in Florida for almost eight years mm -hmm. but while I was in Florida I mean before I was in Florida, I made it to Texas. I lived in Texas for about six months. Back and forth to Texas while I was in Florida. I mean, I've been overseas a few places. Um, Where? Okay. In the military, you've been overseas? Yeah. Where? Yeah. So, I got to go... Well, everybody nowadays gets to go to some kind of desert. So, I got to go to a couple deserts. And then I got to see the Azores and probably my favorite story is i spent about an hour in ireland <laughs> at three in the morning in an airport where the only thing that was open was the guinness kiosk ah, so that's where i had my first yes. guinness god bless ireland it was warm the bartender looked panicked when he saw all of us getting off a plane <laughs> um i haven't been a lot of places but i've been enough places to say i've seen some stuff but not a lot of people know i mean i the this this podcast talking to you today tonight there's all you have to do is Google Mark Yusick, author, and there's a lot of people that have interview, interviewed you about your books and stuff. Yeah. Tonight is not about that. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Because I know you more, so I can ask you different questions. Huh. Okay. Um. And the, one of the first things that we're gonna do is in regards to the uh, and by the way, I think you should mention you got a couple kids because they're gonna yeah. listen to this. So yeah. say they'll talk about the kids. So, I've got two boys. Uh, Jake is 16, which means he's got his permit. And when he's with me, I toss him the keys and he drives. So, that's convenient. <laughs> Plus, nerve-wracking. Mm -hmm. And then I've got Carter, who is 11, going to be 12 soon. Uh, who, boy, where Jake is, like, awesome. Like, really straightforward, you know, well-behaved kind of worried about i don't know just being a good kid carter is the wild child <laughs> carter is i remember when when jake was born my father shook my hand gave me a hug and a pat on the back in the hospital said congratulations now just remember this is your payback for everything you did to us so far that hasn't been jake that's carter it's coming <laughs> there's already hints of it he's they're both great boys. they're awesome they're awesome kids i Life's a lot easier 
with good kids. When you have kids, life's a lot easier with good kids. Yeah, we got And you. I got some awesome kids. Yeah, so, you know, our friendship, uh, you know, you were married before I was married. Yep. So, you know, you didn't, you know, you gave me guidance on that, which is great. You had kids before I had kids. And now I get to see that you're spending time with the boys. And I have a boy and a girl, so I have the joy of a daughter. Um, you know, you, you're now experiencing your activity with Danielle and her kids, and you've seen what a daughter can be like, which is pretty fun. It's different. It's fun. It's different. Um, her daughter, Freya, is, boy, she's her own person. <laughs> and she she lives for, for danger and shock value. I don't know how many times she'll look at me and say something or stick her tongue out do something just to try to shock you and mm -hmm. i i don't know how many times i've said since i've been dating danielle i've looked at freya who's five and said little girls are gross <laughs> and she just loves it she eats it up that's great she tries to be even more it's just yeah girls and, are interesting right and you got and you got another boy in regards to danielle's boy that it, that mixes right in oh she's got a son who yeah ollie he's eight um, and he's just, he's, he's all about, you know, he, he's been with a mom and a sister mm -hmm. his whole life. And yeah. so he's all about, oh, there's guy stuff. We gotta, we gotta do guy <laughs> stuff. Right. So, <laughs> so that's cool. So, so that's a little bit about you, right? You got, you've got a turning point in your life as we all have, and you've got, uh, Jake and Carter and and uh, Danielle and her two kids and we a lot of us see your posts how you guys are doing stuff together outside which is great, which kind of leads me to the progression of this talk with you which may end up being a number of podcasts it may not just be this one because we can talk a little bit about fishing this is still a fishing podcast but it's also a little bit about life the first thing i want to talk about is i will tell you my wife who i love dearly is like so you're gonna have Mark on a podcast so is he gonna talk about like you know taking days off and fishing is that like <laughs> is that what he's gonna do what else would we talk about but the point i want to get at is like you do have a philosophy you have a new you have a i want to don't want to say new new in regards to both of us middle age middle mid 40s right maybe it's just newly focused talk about that well i can't like i can't nail down a specific philosophy it, it doesn't work like that maybe it does when i'm writing this the, Stuff comes out way crisper and cleaner and more poignant when I'm writing. But I think the philosophy is is something like... Um, it has become don't sweat the big stuff. Like people say don't sweat the small stuff. I've reversed that. Don't sweat the big stuff. Because it turns out that most of the big stuff, to me, isn't that big. Um everything that everything that is supposed to be big where i've gotten to it's supposed to be big because other people say it's supposed to be big um i was i always looked up to my grandfathers and my father they worked hard both my grandfathers my father's father worked till the day he died worked hard um my grandfather was an over the road on my mother's side, an over-the-road truck driver, never around, worked 
a good portion of his life away before he was able to retire, but they were always working. And my father, I remember always working. I, I'm pretty sure at one point when I was in grade school, he had five jobs, like all at the same time, huh. like two full-time jobs and then part-time jobs he would go to. Um, so I was brought up like, work your butt off, mm-hmm. get a, get a good job or get a couple of jobs, but work your butt off. And that was like, that, that was the thing. It was like, all right, if you're doing good, it means you got a job and you're working hard. And then as I got older, well, yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's an important thing. You've got to support yourself. You got to support your family. But as you get older, you start to pick up on more stuff. And when my, I was, this was still 20 something years ago. My grandfather on my father's side passed away. Um, he worked till the day he died, literally. He was clearing somebody's land with a bulldozer. And after he was done, went home, sat down in his chair in the living room and went to sleep and didn't wake up. He worked till the day he died. Uh, that's That starts, some people don't see anything. I think it all depends on, it depends on a lot of stuff. Everybody sees something. What I started seeing was, well, it's important to have a good work ethic and support yourself and support your family. Mm-hmm. But it's also important to take time for yourself. And that's really been hitting me harder. That was 20-something years ago. I got a little taste of it. I was like, you know, he was working the day he died. He didn't die at work, which has always been one of my big things. I want to die out in the woods, on a stream, (laughs) something. I do not want to drop dead at work. Right. Last thing I want. But... He worked till the day he died. I'm. I guarantee you, I will never retire. I will work. To, I will work in one form or another till the day I die. Because I know that, though, I am. I am working just enough to support myself and my kids, and live my life the rest of the time outside of work. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna work my fingers to the bone for something that doesn't matter. Money in the bank doesn't matter as long as I can pay my bills. I don't need to work any overtime. I don't need to get a second job. Um, I don't want all this stuff. I'm happy with what I got so that I don't need to work that much and I can just live when I'm not at work. So I think it's it's important that I know you, so I know that you have a really good work ethic. And um, sometimes... You know, from your posts and stuff, which you've got a lot of people that follow you, and I've had a number of, I mean, dozens and dozens of people that have commented how they like seeing what you write. Your philosophy is still that you're a worker, but yeah, you also take time. Well, I think you have to be accountable for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess that's probably what my philosophy is. If you really dig in and analyze it, you have to be accountable for yourself, which means taking care of yourself. In your family, which means you got to have a job. You can't not work and just be a bum. You can if you don't have a family. Who knows? If I didn't have a family and was single, I, I might just have a backpack on and be living under a bridge in the woods someplace. But I would still be accountable for myself. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it is. You have to be accountable for yourself, and that's supporting yourself with a good job, work, 
-hmm. You have to work. Everybody's mm -hmm. got to work to support themselves and pay for their house and their car and whatever it is they have. But you also have to be accountable for yourself with your free time, your mental health. Mm -hmm. you, accountable to yourself means you have to, other than, you know, a wife and kids, what I'm saying is you have to put yourself before all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Once the workday is done and you've got your money in the bank to pay your bills, take care of yourself, now you got to take care of yourself. In other words, you got to bust free from that stuff and not let it eat you to the core mm -hmm. and be who you really are. Because who you are at work, if you got your own company, if you're if you really enjoy what you do for a living, if you feel that's you, well then that's different. But otherwise, a job is something that is necessary to pay your bills, but it's not necessarily who you are. It's it's you being accountable for your own life having a job. But you need to outside of that job be yourself. I think that's the accountable to yourself part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could write that way more eloquently than I tried no, to get I it. No, I think out it's very words. I think it's I think it's very very good. I'll do a sound check here on me. Um so there's like this Thoreau quote, right, that is like you spend all this time fishing and then you realize the quote. you realize it's not about the it's not about the catching, right? Right. Yep. So, this philosophy that you're talking about, I want you to associate that with fly fishing. The reason I'm going to say this is, uh, I I'm not going to speak to this in order, but your iron working skills, mm -hmm. amazing. Some of the stuff that you've done, the staircases, this the, for famous people, stuff like that. People don't know. I don't know if everybody knows that about you. Some of that work you've mm, done, the sheet metal work that you've done on hot rods and stuff like that, also you know huge accomplishments that you've done in regards to that but i believe that through this life's journey with you you got you've always enjoyed being outside and and wilderness definitely You're, i think you could be a hunter if you wanted to be okay yeah but you've chosen fly fishing so i come back to this quote about in the end right you realize that it's not about the fishing that if you correlate that to your philosophy on life this is a fly fishing podcast, right? I mean, you, I've known you for a long time. And then, and the you that I know, I've seen change and grow in regards to you associating yourself by being outside and fishing. Yeah. Why is, why are they connected and why is that important? Oh, so this is a tough one. So I thought about this earlier and I thought I had a good answer for it. And by the way, why couldn't you do it with making sheet metal and making you know doing iron iron staircases it makes sense that you would do it something associated with nature so so people change some people will find something early in life and they stick with it to the end and i think that's really cool some people don't i am the type of person that i've been into a few things over my life when we were in grade school i had this thing with collecting rocks i had a huge rock collection and it wasn't just any any old rock. It was like I had, you could have covered my bedroom floor with some of the coolest pieces of granite and mica and crystal. You name it. I had so much. And that was like my thing. And then one day I was like, eh, I'm bored. I'm done with it. And I couldn't even tell you where all those rocks went. There was some awesome stuff. There was some stuff that you probably could have stuck up in the Blue Mountain Museum. It was really cool. And I got into other stuff. 
and that's happened a few times in life. You know, when I left home, when I was in high school, I had no direction. I barely made it out of high school. Um, I had teachers, they knew I was delayed enlistment to go in the military, so that I somehow, a couple of classes that I couldn't pass during the year, period, I passed with 65s, the passing grade. They were like, let's just, I was pushed through, plain and simple. There's no doubt in my mind it happened. Um, I went in the Air Force because I had no direction. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to stay at home. It wasn't because I hated home, but I was just, it was time to do something. But I had no idea what to do or how to do it. So I went in the military. And I tested high in mechanical ability, which I'm telling you right now, I had a three-wheeler my senior, junior, senior year of high school. I could put oil in it. I couldn't work on it. I knew nothing. I would ride that thing into the ground, destroy it, but I couldn't fix it. And I really didn't care about fixing it. Put gas in it, put oil in it, beat the piss out of it. I went in the Air Force and they were like, hey, you'd be a good mechanic by your test results. And some of the courses that I had to take to be that flight line mechanic, I did good in. And some of them I did not do good in and I struggled through them. But I ended up a mechanic in the Air Force, which led me to... All the other guys that were in the hangar with me, they're, because they're all mechanics, they were all into hot rods and mud trucks and stuff. So that's that's where it led. I All of a sudden, there's my new interest. Hot rods, mud trucks, all this gearhead stuff. This is cool. And that lasted for a while. And then eventually, years and years of that, and I kind of burned out on it. And I got into the metalworking stuff. All this stuff, I was like, while I was involved with it, I was super super passionate about it i i was into it that was it and i didn't do anything else those years that i built hot rods and all that stuff um my fishing rods stayed in the closet and i would go to the family farm like once a year there were there were a couple years that i didn't go to the farm and i didn't fish the only time i fished was when when for whatever reason life was really beating the crap out of me and i just needed a break and i'd go fishing but it wasn't what it is now um, so I got into all this other stuff and I would go through changes, you know, eventually I got out of all the gearhead stuff. I got into the metalworking stuff, but it was always the same. I like latched onto it and I was like super like, this is it. This is the only thing I'm doing. This is all my focus. 110%. I'd be sitting at the dinner table thinking about it, um, <laughs> how I was going to do stuff at work the next day. It like, it controlled me. But that was good stuff. Are you that way with fly fishing? I'm that way with fly fishing because I'm not doing it during the day at work. I I was once, so I did the hot so rods. So that's the difference. That's the difference. I did the hot rods in the blacksmithing for a living. Mm. And I was trying to make a living at it. Um, and I finally, the blacksmithing I'd probably still be doing today. Um, my boss, the guy that owned the company, wanted to retire. 2008 happened. Everything crashed. We didn't have the high-end customers beating down our door at the time, so he retired. Otherwise, I'd probably still be doing it. And I had offers to go do it down in Long Island and down in North Carolina, and I didn't want to leave home. I said, I'm done with it. So I got so that stuff like controlled me, and I thought about it day, night, whether I was at work or not. And then when I got away from that stuff and I got my first job that was just I went in the Air Force for four years out of high school, but then after that, every job I had was either the hot rods or the metalworking. So 
I know what it looked like from the outside is like that guy's got all these cool jobs. He's building hot rods. He's building race cars. He's building street rods. He's building choppers. He's this. He's a blacksmith. He's building all this cool stuff with a anvil and a hammer. So I considered it kind of like I didn't have your average normal job. They were really, if you want to, art is self-expression. For all those years, I was an artist. Even though I was doing it for somebody else and collecting a paycheck, you're putting yourself into that work. Mm -hmm. Once the blacksmithing ended and I went on to climbing cell towers, there was no self-expression anymore. Even though that wasn't your average job, right. I was not, there was no feeling in the job anymore. But, and I was able to shut it off at the end of the day, and that's the, where everything changed. And and I will tell you, by the way, I was thinking about when I was writing questions, what I was going to ask you about. About how I remember you and I when we were young, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Was, I remember you and I drawing all the time. All I, the time, I remember yeah. we were always drawing. Yep. And um, so that artistic side of, of you and me and also, you know, playing together with, with action figures and stuff like that, right? Which, by the way, I think, like, if people, if kids play with action figures and stuff, they're using their imagination. But I will yeah. say that, like, you know, you talk about being an artist, and I don't know if you still, do you still, do you refer to you still as being an artist? I never did. Now that I, now that I say I'm not... I look back then and I say I was, but I never called myself an artist then. I was just building cool cars or motorcycles back then. I kind of I kind of looked at myself as being an artist when I was a blacksmith, but I was still doing it as a job for a paycheck off of somebody else's blueprint. So it wasn't like I was just mm -hmm. making whatever I felt like at the moment, but it was an art. I was practicing an art, but I didn't call myself an artist back then. Now I know that I was an artist back then because even though I was doing what other people were wanting me to do, mm -hmm. I was still putting myself into the work. Right. So after all that, and I and I went to the other jobs, just your normal average jobs where you're just collecting a paycheck, it shut off at the end of the workday, and that's that's where that's where it changed. So let's talk about the fishing for a second. Yeah, because good. <laughs> The reason I, I want to talk about the fishing is I've talked to some guys, you know, you know, you, you whatever, fire up a bong or what and have a couple drinks and, and soon it becomes, you know, what is really fly fishing and yeah. depending on um, where you're at mentally. Yep. You can go a lot of different ways. Okay. Yep. Fly fishing, in my opinion, is not the answer to everything, not the answer to life. It's a great experience. But. For you, I want to ask you, so what is it about fly fishing for you? Oh, it's the answer to everything. <laughs> of course it is. I mean... It's the secret I mean, to life, What right? a stupid question. Of course it is, right. <laughs> so, Why fly fishing? What? What is it? I don't know, because I always spin fished, and then one day, I don't know if I saw a picture in a magazine or something on the internet, but one day I all of a sudden had this idea that like a fly line floating through the air with this loop unrolling was just awesome and i had to try it for myself i don't know where it came from i don't know if i saw an image or what but i remember i used to watch like i'd fish an ultralight spinning rod and do like four pound test and i'd make a cast which a spinning rod is a boring cast it's just 
one motion and it's out there. But I'd watched that four pound fluorocarbon just kind of float like a spider web for like 20 seconds after the lure or whatever I was using hit the water. That four pound test fluorocarbon would just kind of like glide like a spider web. And I thought that was cool. And then it was over and then you're just fishing. And at some point when I was working on the road, all of a sudden I was like, fly fishing seemed cool. And I remember buying a $20 rod from Bass Pro in Auburn. And my wife at the time had found a uh, a metalist fly reel at a garage sale that was set up for left hand and I'm right handed for like $8. And she, she says, there's a fly reel at the garage sale because I was always grabbing fishing gear. And she was like, do you want it? It's eight bucks. And I was like, of course I do. And then I was in Auburn at the time, so I bought this $20 piece of crap fly rod. And I remember stringing it up, and it was weird because the rod felt horrible. It was really stiff and clunky. It just, like, it moved, but at the end of every move, like, the tip just freaking wobbled all over the place, and it hit hard. Um, so I remember I could cast it. I never had a problem with casting right from the beginning. I under For whatever reason, I looked at the mechanics of a cast and I right. got that. Yeah. But it just didn't feel good to me. So it it was a while before I expressed my interest and my father was like, I want to try it too. So he bought two like setups, two combos. And I got a six weight and he got a five weight. And then I, I tried it and I liked it. But there's something different about fly fishing. I honestly think it's... It's what I said, like that that spinning rod. This is done. Your cast is over. It's it's the cast. If if you really, if I really dig into it, everybody says water is healing, right? Like the movement of water, the sound of water. Well, the sound of water comes from the movement. It's because the water is moving. That sound like relaxes you. So it's movement, and it, it's a it's a flow. Water flows, no kidding, yeah. But it's that's that's what relaxes you about being around water is that sound and that movement. So I think there's something with the fly line going back and forth. In my mind, that fly line connects me more to the water than a spinning rod does. There, you, I'm in the moment. That cast, I could do. I'll catch myself. I just the other day with the S glass, I caught myself. I I could lift it off the water downstream and flip it right upstream in one movement but instead i make two or three false cast. false casts which i know is probably scaring a fish or at least wasting time and energy but it's not wasting time and energy because i enjoy it mm -hmm. and i don't care right. if by some reason that movement of the fly line and feeling the rod and everything it connects you more to that place you are in the outdoors in my mind I, I think that's I've thought about this a lot for a long time. You think you're and gonna I grow? I really out? think that's part of it. You think you're gonna grow out of it like you did the other stuff? Nope. Why not? Because I'm way more connected to this. Like I can't do without it. Like that other stuff, when stuff wasn't going right and I was struggling with things, the challenge of figuring out how to make something and how to make the metal do what I wanted it to do. Well, that was what I enjoyed, but I still got frustrated with it. I honestly sure there might be 10 seconds of frustration when i catch myself in a tree or the grass behind me but i've i've never felt that with fly fishing so if you were fly, if you were fly casting in the middle of an urban or urban setting yep 
it would, it would 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 it be the same? I've done it. I used to fish this crappy little creek. It was the Owasco River straight through Auburn. I'm telling you, right through the center of the town, right through the center of the city. Broken glass, trash in the river. It like went through, there must have been old factories where this river flowed through. In, in, a, pr- in a prison. Right, in a prison. Yeah, oh, I fished right next to that prison wall. Yeah, yeah. I fished all through there. And there's cars on both sides of you. You can hear it through the trees. Um, there's just constant noise. There's the remnants of all those old factories and all, all the... Just it's you're in the middle of the city, so you're finding trash. It didn't matter, didn't matter at all. That was it made all you the difference. You were still in it. it I was, was you, still completely in it. Do Doesn't you, matter. Do you think the whole concept of Zen is like stupid? Or no? Uh, I, I'm sure I did before. I don't remember, but I'm sure I did before. Now I know it's real. Yeah. Fly fishing has proved it to it me. It makes sense. So I've got, I've set you up with some questions. Okay. I'm um, gonna need more Jameson then. He's got plenty. We can edit all the all of the uh, all of this. But um, you mentioned uh, I've got two questions here about your childhood childhood mentors and childhood heroes. Okay, they could be the same. Sure, but you mentioned you know I could see you got a connection with your grandfather, but oh yeah, um, childhood mentors, childhood heroes. Okay, so mentors and heroes were definitely different. Uh, my grandfather on my father's side was definitely a mentor. He worked his butt off, and I spent a lot of time with him, even at work, sitting in his lap in bulldozers and cranes, or playing off to the side while he worked on a dump truck. Um, you remember Pelnick Wrecking Company? That's yeah. over. Oh yeah. That's he was their mechanic and an operator, machine operator. He fixed everything. He tore so many places down, dug so many holes, and I was there for a lot of it. But he, I think I was five or six, he started taking me fishing. And here's this grandfather with this grandson who probably couldn't sit still. I I know I couldn't leave a bobber sit in the water for more than 35, 40 seconds before it needed to be moved. I mean, that's how most kids are. But he didn't try to change that. We fished with worms and bobbers, and that was it. And he would laugh at me because I'd always want to pick it up and cast it. The bobber's there and it hasn't moved in 35 seconds. (laughs) I better bring it back in, check the worm, and move it over four feet. He didn't try to stop me from doing that. He just, he let me do my thing. You know, he would suggest, let it sit a little longer. But he didn't get mad. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't get upset. He was just spending time with me. Mm -hmm. None of that mattered. So... Maybe I wasn't learning a lot then because I was just a young kid and didn't know I was learning. But to look back on all that, I was definitely learning a lot. That was that's a that was a big mentor. My grandfather on my mother's side was the same thing. I, I, I knew that I knew that he he supported his family no matter what. Why because he was always gone was because he was making he was making money to keep the house going and everything. There we've got pictures of me sitting in his old cab over Mac trucks in the driveway he fixed his own stuff both of them did they worked on their own stuff they owned their own stuff they fixed everything themselves no so i think that maybe i didn't know it back then but that's probably a lot of why i got into that stuff and why the self-accountability they weren't paying anybody else to do stuff for them 
not everybody has that luxury. I'm not saying that if your grandparents or your parents, you know, pay other people to fix their stuff that they're not, you know, that they're not good mentors as long as they're teaching good lessons. But my grandparents taught me good lessons. Mm -hmm. So they were definitely mentors. I mean, I, I had I had other people, um, you know, I stayed in Catholic school till sixth grade. And then even up until I graduated high school, I was an altar boy and I worked at the church. Right. So, I mean, a couple of the priests were really cool. I can tell you right now, now that we just got into this, this hit me. Well, I knew what I questions you were going to ask and me. And everybody knows that you and I went to Catholic school together yeah. for a little while, right? I mean, yeah, there were there was, uh, I'm curious who, which, which priest, right? Okay. Like, so, do you remember, it was after you were gone. But it was when we were in high school. Do you remember Father Wappen at all? Of course I remember So Father here's Wappen. the deal. This just hit me just now. Yeah. I did not think of this earlier when I knew what questions you were going to ask me. Father Wappen was so cool. He had great hair. All right. So Father <laughs> Wappen had this great hair, right? It was it was combed over. It was nice and flowing. He was way overweight. He cracked the weirdest jokes. I remember we were going to do a, a wedding. There was a wedding on a weekend. And I was an altar boy for the wedding, mm -hmm. which you always did weddings because you got good tips. I mean, normally you don't get paid to be an altar boy. If you did a wedding, you're getting a tip. Mm -hmm. And I remember him going, okay, boys, let's go out and get this funeral taken care of. And Nathan goes, Father, it's, it's a wedding. And he goes, oh, wedding, funeral, same difference. Some poor soul's losing his soul. <laughs> <laughs> but Father Wappen would always, oh, it would eat Father Carlin up in the rectory because Father Wappen always walked around with a glass of something. I don't know if it, I was in high school. I don't know if it was whiskey, bourbon, I don't know what it was, but he always had a glass of something and it would stay in his hand all night. He wouldn't like keep refilling it. He was good at sipping. Wow. Because my grandmother was, she was the housekeeper directory. So I spent time there too and I heard all this, but he walked around at the dinner table, over on the buffet captain at the side, he would have this big Godzilla toy sitting there, and he would talk to it during dinner. And it would piss Father Carlin off that it was that, or he loved the old Boris Karloff movies, like yeah. The Mummy and all that. What am I into now? I can't do anything without thinking of, right. you know, Godzilla. Right. Uh, so, so, you know what? Those guys, everybody around you is a mentor. It's just who you really soak up yeah, more that's from. that's true. That's true. Father Carlin, I thought, was pretty cool, too. He actually. had an awesome camp up on Stu in Stuben up on the hill, and I passed it about three weeks ago, and I just wondered whatever, if he's still up there, if he's still got that place, if he's gone, somebody else has got it. But ahead of you, you could see for miles and miles and miles. It's one of those hills that I don't care what you're driving, you're wondering if it's going to make it to the top because your foot's to the floor and it just keeps losing <laughs> speed slowly. Yeah. So, I didn't, I mean, we didn't really, I didn't, we can edit this out if you don't want to, but you know we both came from uh, from a religious background. To a yeah, to a point. You know, I mean, while you were an altar boy, we both went to Catholic school. I was an altar boy, but it was just the thing to do because we had a class of what twelve or thirteen kids. Uh, yeah. So if you were a boy, you were an altar boy. I mean, for those <laughs> for the for those listening, I'm I'm pouring a little bit more Jameson and Mark's cup because, as you know, I associate a lot of stuff. With my faith. Yeah. I don't get a lot of that from you. But we both went to Catholic school. And What's that's, the deal with that? So that's so that's where I say, you know, people go through changes and stuff. I, It's a good question. And I have a lot of questions. So I don't think my faith in what we were brought up in, in that surrounding, is as strong as exactly what it was all focused on. I still believe there's 
there's got to be a higher power. And even when I question it and I'm like, uh, there's probably no God. Well, I always think about, you know, what's God thinking looking at me right now? I think that stuff all the time. So plain and simple, whatever my doubts are, <laughs> yeah. I... Deep inside, there's something. So you got to believe. So I have some it's type of belief. There. It's still there, and it changes from day to day. So we talked about mentors, adult heroes. This can this can go, you know, superhero. All right. So heroes, plain and simple. If those were my mentors, my heroes were two guys that were one and the same. Which? Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Okay. Plain and simple. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Makes, I mean, they're so cool that you really don't need they're to ask way why. too cool. Um, all right. I did have some other questions about favorite flies, rods. Yeah. Fish stories, all that stuff. Let me rip through them quick. Did you actually go yeah, through Yeah, so favorite fly is really stupid and simple. Okay, go. It's not a woolly bugger. It's not a clouser. And I feel guilty about fishing it so much. And sometimes I will try to dress up the fly because I feel guilty that it's so simple. But plain and simple, weighted or unweighted, a a strip of black rabbit zonker on a hook. It's a black leech pattern. That's it. Is it works for? I've caught everything on it. Everything. Just and just, it's so simple. I can stick just a rabbit strip. Just a rabbit strip, black. I stick a couple in my hat and one on the line. And if I don't catch anything on that, I figure I'm not going to catch anything. Okay. Period. So that's cool. And by the way, if if anyone fishes with you, you don't have a pack. You have waders in your hat. I try not to take fly boxes anymore. Every now and then I will, but no, I I, I stick some I glue some foam to the brim of my hat and I stick flies in it. Yeah. And if I don't have it on my hat, whether I wish I had it or not, I don't and I'm not going to fish it. I used to tell people when they would come in the fly shop every and and fly anglers go through this process where they they just try to catch a fish, and then they kind of, like, overcomplicate everything. Yes. I used to tell people all the time to take your rod, put on a fly, and that just put on that fly and go. That's it. And you'll be surprised what you'll catch with just that fly. Sure. Um, and I noticed that you don't carry a lot of gear, which is really cool. Um, so favorite flies we went through, favorite rods. So my favorite rods, plain and simple, number one is that first, and we're going to get to this later if you continue down this list, that first beaver metal, the three-weight that I got from you. Okay. It's it's an awesome rod. I love to fish it, and it's got sentimental value. That specific rod. But my other favorite rod is the Peacemaker. 10-foot, 6-inch, 4-weight. It is awesome. I fished that for, what, like two years straight and almost didn't use any other rods. A 4-weight that I used to consider a 4-weight too small because I do a lot of smallmouth fishing but too big because I do a lot of brook trout fishing. Brook trout, I want a three-weight. For smallmouth, I want a six at least. I did all of that for like two years straight with a four-weight. That rod was so awesome. Did, that is it. Did that have anything to do with our trip together? That was a good start for it. Yeah, because every time I hold that rod, which is a prototype, by the way, so it's it's, it's cool blue. in itself. Yeah. It's blue. It's not black like yeah. the rest tell of them. Him, tell tell. About that story, about about that trip, right? That was a cool trip. It was a cool trip, and and that's where we first used that rod. It was like thirty miles of winding, yeah. the headwaters of the Oswegatchie River. There had to have been fifty beaver dams that we had to portage oh, yeah. over, drag canoes over, and you broke the rod. <laughs> I did. 
I will never forget. We we took a break for I think lunch. I did. I crushed it on the tunnel. And you got in the canoe, and they were down the side. I was in the front of the canoe. You were in the back, and you got in, and we pushed off. And I said, I'm going to fish that blue rod. So I grabbed that ten foot six inch four weight, and I and I had fished it before we stopped. And I went to make my first cast, and the back cast went back. Yeah. And the front cast, the thing hinged like a crane breaking in the yeah, city. Yeah, it was a clean. It was a clean. I remember sure. looking at you like, oh, my God, what oh, did I just do? And you had this look on your face like I knew that was going to happen. Oh, yeah, I knew, that, I knew what I did. It's yeah. no big deal. I've never, I don't have an issue of breaking stuff, do I? So that rod also has, no. So that rod also has sentimental value. But the rod itself, that, that peacemaker, it's a 10-foot-6. Totally changed the way I looked at everything because I mean I was fishing for smallmouth with that rod that I normally would have used my seven weight for. Mm. So I love those two rods. It was a good trip to use that. It was good. And by the way, we I mean you and I collaborated on that. We didn't we didn't necessarily come up with that rod for euro nymphing, although it can be used for euro nymphing. Sure, it's a ten and a half we, foot rod. We just so. wanted a longer rod, literally for like being in the boat and yep. trying to get around alders and. And fishing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I do. I got a weird question here about. I'm jumping around a little bit about. Go for it. About how far back you remember me, you and me. First grade. Yeah. Yes, I remember first grade. I remember He-Man toys, and I remember drawing constantly. And we were big. And I also remember. I remember when I met you. We had a, such a small class. Like I said, would we have maybe 13 kids in our oh, class? Yeah, maybe. And it wasn't like. A first grade class of 13 and another first grade class, class across the hall of another... Th that was it. We had one class and there were like 13 kids in it. It was a very small school. Right. And I remember you because I was the small kid. And I remember that Jordan, he's small like me. We're both like little guys. That's true. We got like this thing going on. Like we should stick together. <laughs> I do remember that. We were both. We were both you, short and small. And me, you notice that and a lot. Paul Scotta. You yes, Paul Scotta. You do. You notice that when you're kids too. Yeah. Oh, big time. It's funny. So we did separate for a little while, right? Life happened yep. and stuff. And um, we then got back together with Trout Power. So um, we kind of reconnected. Yeah. from that do you remember that yeah it was cool because i don't i had to have seen it on facebook but i mean that was the beginning of facebook was only a couple years old i think yeah two yeah 2011 10 11, 11 yeah. right so i must have seen it on facebook somehow and i remember calling my father up and saying hey there's this thing on the west canada creek fish for the weekend for trout it's like a tournament tournament and a study you want to do it and he was like, yes. And I said, okay, now I should probably call my wife and ask her if I can do it. Mm -hmm. So we did it. And I think it was only a day or two before we went that I found out that you were the one running it. And I was like, holy crap. I haven't seen him since probably ninth grade. Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. So so I thought that was really I thought it was cool. cool that, you know, we both were able to reconnect um doing that and you ended up winning the rod so yeah so you tell that story that's one of my memories and you hit you asked me like what's my favorite fishing story I'd, well yeah. it happens to connect to trout power that you were going to ask about mm -hmm. and my favorite rod which i said that was my first favorite rod so the first year in 2011 
I didn't, I don't think I even brought a fly rod. We just brought our spinning rods. My father was fishing spinners and I was fishing the little marabou jigs. And we didn't catch one fish, not a single fish in 2011. So mm -hmm. 2012 we show up and my father had bought us both these combos, St. Croix or something, right? Mm -hmm. So I had the six weight combo. And I had been fishing it for months and I couldn't catch a fish to save my life. And then, like, I could cast, but once that fly was on the water, I didn't know what the hell to do with it. And the fish would come up, and I would try to set the hook like bass fishing, and I'd rip it out of their mouth before they even touched it. So I couldn't catch anything. I, I know that I had caught a couple of fall fish, which is a big minnow, for everybody that doesn't know what a fall fish is. It's the thing that you get confused with creek chubs and suckers. <laughs> It looks like a small tarpon in the creek. That's your fall fish, okay? So I had caught like a couple of fall fish on dry flies, like little four-inch fish, and that was it in months of trying to fly fish. So here we are, the second trout power. Me and my father decided we're going to do it again. Why not? I know I went in the water twice and soaked two pairs, two sets of waders, my own waders, and then my father's spare waders that weekend. I was just, I was good at falling in, doing dumb stuff. I still am. And Ben and Elizabeth were at Trout Power from Ohio. They came to fish. So I'd met them. They were staying at the KOA yep. close to us. So yep. I was hanging out with them. And Ben gave me some tips on, you know, fly fishing and all. And I remember during the day, he texted me a couple times because they were fishing out of kayaks. How are you doing? And he had caught this really nice, like, 16 or 17-inch brown. And I hadn't caught anything. And then all of a sudden, we were at the public access fishing site in Middleville. Eric Dresser had his camera set up. We fished upstream, caught nothing, came back. Eric Dresser was standing there with his camera on a tripod, watching a couple fishermen out there right at the parking area. And these guys were talking to him. They all left. And... I had got the spinning rod out. I got frustrated with the fly rod. I'd missed a couple of fish upstream. And I remember looking at him standing there with a tripod and being intimidated. Like, there's this, like, photographer guy. And I suck. I can't fly fish in front of him. And those guys left. And they were talking about how they hadn't caught any fish. And it was really hard that day. So I'm like, well, crap. If these guys are actual fly fishermen, it's what they do. And they didn't, and they were talking about how hard it is. Well, then I got nothing to lose. So I grabbed the fly rod out of the back of my truck, and I walked out in front of Eric and immediately fell. I remember stumbling backwards and falling into water just deep enough that it could go over the top of my waders and filled my waders with water. <laughs> like, Son. And I looked back expecting him to be taking pictures, and he was, he was trying to act like he didn't see me. But listen, I'm 25, 30 feet in front of him, sitting in the water, made this big splash, so he's like, just kind of snickering. Yeah, I saw you. I'm not going to take pictures of you. Which I thought was cool. He took his camera and left. And I actually caught my first trout. It was a like a 12-inch brown. Hmm. And I remember being so excited. I was yelling at my father like I was mad at him. Because he wasn't running over fast enough to net the fish. And I felt bad about it while I was doing it, but I was still like, get over here now. you got to get over here. Get this fish. I can't lose it. And I remember him going, I'm trying. I'm trying. And you can only move so fast walking in the water. Right, right. 
I caught like two 12-inch browns. Awesome. I had never caught a trout before with a dry fly on a fly rod. I'd only caught little, like these four-inch minnows. I caught those two browns, which, cool. Now I finally got something to put in this book for in records survey, yeah. in the survey. In the next cast, I stepped out of the water, and I made a cast, and I caught this fish that I couldn't feel on the rod. And I remember getting it in and looking at it and going, it's not a brown. I think that's a brook trout. But I wasn't a trout fisherman. So I was thinking to myself, it's a brook trout, but it looks awful pale. Like, its colors weren't bright. Its spots weren't bright. It was just kind of, eh. But it had the white trim on the fins. And I was like, that's a brook trout. I know it is. So we got the pictures of it. Measured it. Let it go. And I remember, I remember Ben from Ohio he texted me right after, and he's like, how's it going? I just caught this. And I was like, oh, I just caught a brook trout. And he's like, seriously? So this is all text messages going back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, it's like my third trout ever on a fly rod. Kind of cool. To me, that's why it was cool. Mm -hmm. Because I just caught two browns, and now I caught a brook trout. Staying in the same place. And he sends back this text. He's like, you're going to win biggest brook trout of the tournament. And I thought he was breaking my balls because this fish was eight inches. Right? Yeah. And I so I sent back like a ha 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 funny. And then I got nothing from him. So I remember an hour or so later going to South Trenton Pub where you had everybody coming in and handing in their pictures and their record books. Mm -hmm. Walking in and there was only one person. We were... Almost the last. There's only one other person that handed hadn't showed up to hand in their stuff yet. I remember walking in and Ben was like, "You got it? Did you really catch that brook trout?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "You got your SD card or your camera?" Yeah. And I remember you walking up and going, "Where's your SD card?" And I was like, "Right here." And you're like, "You caught a brook trout? Seriously?" And I'm like, "I couldn't understand the excitement over an eight-inch fish. I didn't get it." And you like. Ripped the SD card and my logbook out of our hands, and out the back door you went. And I guess you went and sat in your Jeep and like downloaded everything and looked at the pictures. Yeah, yeah. And I was the only person. I remember you coming back and saying, "There's one other person to come back to check in, and if they haven't caught a brook trout, you caught the only brook trout in a place you should have never caught it, which means you caught biggest brook trout of the tournament study, and you won that rod that you've been trying to buy for like three months." Yeah. And you did. So that was it. An 8-inch fish got me my first rod from you, one that I had been saving up for while working on the road. And every time I had enough for it, we had to spend it on something at the house <laughs> or something on a vehicle. And that totally changed everything. So all these other big fish that I've caught, not a lot, but enough. I've got some good stories with some decent big fish. That 8-inch brook trout that was pale, that didn't belong where it was, that was probably going to get eaten by a big brown eventually... That's my favorite fishing big, story. That was a big deal. I mean, I that was the that was the beginning of the science of trout power too. Was, yeah, I guess it was, was wasn't was it? Was trying to trying to use citizen science to to figure that whole thing out. I think it's so cool that you ended up that you caught that brook trout and ended up getting the rod. And then you know, um, you'll you'll fish that rod and you might have a yeah. You know, you might break a tip or whatever, and we I take care of it. It's all good. It's just it's cool. Uh, I love every time I. Every time I see that rod, I do think about... And just so you know, the first time I ever fished that rod and caught a brook trout on it was when we were at the next place for trout power before we um, 
went to a nonprofit and changed it all up. Yeah. At the bottom of those falls, you caught one and then I caught one. And I remember you asking me, why are you so nervous? And I was nervous because I hadn't really fished that rod much. So wait and a I was with so that so that so when you caught the big brook trout not the big one no i know the year before when you caught the big brook yeah. trout at the falls yep when i took you to that falls before the first time you you caught a brook trout on that rod in the adirondacks you caught one yeah and then and you're then, like now it's your turn you're yeah. up and yeah, then yeah. i caught one that was the first no kidding trout i caught on that rod the first brook trout i caught on that rod i didn't know that and that was the first time we fished that stream together yeah, which was... led to everything else you know, that was the last time I walked down that side of the trail. I have, Since then, I've always gone the other side. You always go the other side. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, well, we've talked about memories of trout power and stuff. This is a little bit of a loaded question, because I've learned <laughs> a lot from you. Okay. Is there anything you've learned from me? Oh, see, this is this is a question that I knew was coming, and I was like, "Holy <laughs> crap! What the What's heck? That, am I? Yeah, a lot of notes. I don't even think that I wrote anything for this question. I'm gonna be completely honest. Um, are there are there other things you want to touch on? Because we can. No, there's. I mean, there's. Look at first grade and the rods, and what else did I write here? Trout power. It's funny you mentioned first grade and the drawings because I used to, I remember that a lot too. Oh heck yeah, that was it was all about drawing back then. It's that self-expression part. <laughs> we didn't want to conform. No. no. Oh, look at the perfect... I can remember one of the kids, I think it was Mark Hagen, going, look, I just made a perfect A in cursive. It's funny. And we're like, big deal, I'm drawing a car. It was Miss. It was Mark Hagen. It was his mother. And it was his teacher. mother teaching us. I know. <laughs> we're like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to draw a car. Uh, Screw your yeah, yeah, cursive. Take your A and shove it up your ass. Um, <laughs> all right, so... You spent, I'm curious, because you spent time with me. What do, you, what do you get from me? So what have I gotten from you? Well, first, um, I've never seen anybody that can cast like you, and it pisses me off. <laughs> and this, So this is kind of like a comedic thing. Like, all, all the crap that I see online and the magazines about good casting, like, you're the real deal. And I think that's cool. <laughs> So that gives me something to, like, maybe I'll be as good as him someday. Oh, okay. <laughs> but honestly, in life, so I saw you, I knew you, not just as a little kid, but I knew you before you even knew Bobby, your wife, right. and were married. Right. So I have seen some huge changes. You were single, and you had the rod company, and you did your own thing, and now you're married, and you've got two little kids. Mm. And that is a huge difference. And at first, I was like, whew, this is going to be rough. <laughs> and I know, I know it's going to be rough, because you're like, I'm doing my own thing. And now you've got, the wife is one thing, but once you've got kids, mm -hmm. that changes everything. And I have seen you go from single, rod company, let's go fishing, to this is the kids are extremely important and this is stuff that i did before you i got that yeah but to see somebody else go through it you learn a lot really? seriously learn a lot yes you learn a lot yes like i learn a lot or you learn no, no 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 me watching other people go through it why because i went through it and it's just like this is just life it's just the way it is but to see like the struggles and the victories afterwards 
You're gonna tell me it was easy when you first had the kid and you and you couldn't build rods oh, God, 24 no. hours God, a day. No, st- you know what? I saw all this go on and I was like, this is gonna be rough. And I see the father that you are now, the parents that you are now. Um, that's like a big deal. That's tough. There are some people that don't make that. There are some people that uh, it it doesn't work. Period. End of story. Whether they want it to work or they don't want it to work and don't care and they're selfish, it just doesn't work. It's it's tough. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier probably if you're a, become a parent early, like in your twenties, mm-hmm. because you didn't know anything. But once you've been like on your own for a while <laughs> and lived your own life, then you throw a wife and kids into the mix. That's that is something totally different. Yeah. Cause you so, got, how old were you when you got married with Holly? Oh, God. Pretty young, right? That's... Okay, so we moved up here. I think I was We third. moved back from Florida in 2003 and got married 2003 or 2004. I'm 45 now. <laughs> so, yeah, we were, we were young, but still not as young as, like, people who are in their early 20s just right. decide, yeah. I'm going to get into life and have a kid. Right. So, I mean, th- that makes a big difference. If you have been on your own for a long time in your adult life before you jump into this whole family thing, that's rough. Yeah. So watching you go through this has been, it's, it's been really cool. And it's you get a lot you, out of it. It's taught you what, to stay, stay away? No, 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 <laughs> it has not taught me to stay away. No, it's taught me that, listen, the right type of person can deal with this stuff and get through it because i've seen a lot of people that yeah i know kids that don't have fathers it's plain and simple life is hard there's two types of people the people who stick it out and muddle through or the people who end up struggling the whole time and everybody else is looking at them like what a jackass I mean, this podcast is not about me, but I will say that like it's it's it seems like it makes there's something special about the fact that the rod company keeps on going. Yeah, no, that's a big deal because listen, it wants to keep going during all the hot rod stuff. I tried to have I tried owning my own shop, building hot rods and motorcycles on my own for two years, and I didn't make it the two year mark before I was like, this is absolutely insane. I cannot have a family and try to collect my own paycheck at the same time this is not working i need a job with somebody else just giving me a paycheck i cannot do this on my own it's it's it takes there's there's different kind of people in this world and i was not that kind of person you keeping this business going while you're starting a fam while you started a family mm-hmm. not straight out of high school but after you spent so many years on your own mm-hmm like that's that's a big deal. Well, I I think it's you. I think it's people like you, and uh, I've got I'm I'm fortunate. I've got a lot of people around me that I associate with um, with what we're doing, and and we're and you know you and I are a team at this. Um, but I will I will I'll, I'm going to tell you my whole thing about uh, you and a fishing story, which I think that the West Canada fourth of july brown oh god i think that that fish i've never heard this story from your view uh, uh, i saw you 
So you've told the story many, many times, and you've written about it. Yeah. Right. You were working late. Yep. Right? I worked night shift. And you were tired. You didn't know if you wanted to keep. I'm good. Right. You didn't know if you wanted to come out. I said that it looked like it was going to be good or whatever. I texted you if you were coming. You came out. And this was a spot on the West Canada where we catch a lot of big browns. And I told you this. I told you. Yep. Right. There's big, big browns in here. Yep. You brought. I don't. I think it was. Was it a, the eight foot five weight glass or what? I was brought it? that old glass. Yeah. Eight which foot was five that, that e glass eight foot five weight? Yep. The early version, which is like. I was not, still. That thing needs to be burnt. I was that, still early on fly fishing, so I even wasn't a so great. So that's what yet. I remember. Yeah. Was your? I watched you. I was watching you cast. I couldn't reach. And that I was fish watching you cast with a fiberglass rod, trying to reach that fish that was raising. That fish was coming up in the foam line, way the hell out there. I was four or five feet short every cast. And you stuck with it, and Smitty gave you a fly. Yep. Right? Yep. I know what fly. I'm not going to say, but and and you plucked that big that big brown and one of the things that the reason i think that that fish was special is because um we were all together you stuck with it it was really fun for me because i was i didn't i was doing my normal thing i was barely fishing right i was i was like i had the camera i just wanted everybody to have a good time and your your time to play that fish was uh, it was a pretty good time Oh, it was, it was comical, long. too, the way I remember yeah, it. Yeah, but, I mean, compared to what I've heard about how your brook trout story. Yeah. Your big brook trout story was, like, real quick. Oh, you God, got I that, ripped it in. You got that fish <laughs> in the net. That brown on the West Canada, and, and you were there trying to cast to try to get it, was a great experience. And, that, and I think that, that that was one of the great that was one of the great fish that I got to experience with you. Um, funny, though, that we... We remember the bigger fish because I think people want to hear about the big fish and and uh, you know you and I guess there's the whole Insta great you know trying to yeah. post pictures and all that yep. stuff. But um, just this just this week, you and I took an afternoon and went to go catch fish, and those were some of the first brook trout that you've caught this year. And yeah, we, and and that was a great time. And I don't know what happens with people and anglers where you get to the point where i think there's times that you look forward to trying to catch a big fish yep and those times are set aside kind of like you know you're going to go to a party and you're going to let loose or something like that right you kind of like you kind of feel like that's you're, a good analogy you're setting your you know what i mean like you know like there's the chance you walk through the door and your chest is a little puffed up, and you got a swagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some something's going to go down tonight. That doesn't happen at every yeah. party, right? Right. Yep. Um. So mentally, being able to go out and fish and just enjoy catching fish, and it was really fun to be with you. And and uh, you know, you were so active with baseball and stuff this year. You didn't get to. I I had a wonderful pork trout season. Yep. Uh, and I mentally chose that I was going to, and I told you over the winter. Remember, I told you and Chris Murphy, I'm like, this oh, is. Oh, I remember. Year. This is, you I'm, said I'm, this I'm is a, my year. I'm, I'm going. I'm yep. gonna. I'm gonna do this. And I feel bad that, um, you know, you didn't have a chance to do that. But you were focused on the kids, and that's fine. Yep. And I and just like you see me 
doing stuff with the kids. You know, same kind of thing. So, so this this leads up to the, you know, the seam. Yeah. The wisdom, right? I mean, you've heard some of these podcasts, right? You tell me you listen to these things. Yep. There's always something that we can extract, and I usually can pull stuff out of this. And I've got a lot of stuff I can pull out of it. But I prompted you that I wanted you to tell us what you think are these in the seam. What's your in the seam wisdom? My in the seam wisdom is that the most obvious thing is not probably is probably not what you're looking for. When I'm on a stream, the most obvious thing you're looking for is a big fish. Right? Mm-hmm. Big fish. That's what I'm going to catch today. That's what you're hoping for. Even if you're happy catching small fish or whatever, that big fish is, that's your goal. Uh, but the whole time that I go out and I'm thinking to myself, I can catch a big fish today. What I bring home is... The view of looking down at my wading boots in the water, in that clear water, and look at how all those rocks look on the stream bed. Look how cool they are, and they're all different. And look at that pocket water over there. Like, if I was going to design and build my own river, holy crap, I would put that rock right there where it is. That is exactly how I would make this river. And I would want that bird to fly over at exactly this time. And on my way home, that hummingbird that hovered in front of my windshield as I was leaving and then shot off to the side. I would want all this to happen perfectly, but I didn't know I wanted it to happen until I saw it happen. It's not the big obvious stuff that I'm going for a big fish. That whole day... If you're smart enough to know that you can't control any of it and you've just got to take it as it comes and enjoy it, that's the takeaway. You can't control any of it. You've got to enjoy it as it comes and appreciate it for what it is. There's no control. That's control is an illusion. So you've got to be happy with what you have. If you're if you're happy with listen, this place is awesome and I can't believe how clear this water is. One more. You can ask for more, but you can't control more than that. You you can only control what's there in front of you. And by control, I mean enjoy or not enjoy. That's it. So the mental state. Mental state. It's all mental. All of it. It makes sense. I think when you give your when you uh, when you give yourself to the environment, I've mentioned this a couple times that when you when you uh, when you're submissive, so to speak, to the environment, it'll, it'll it gives back to you. You know, because there are, I th- I've been I've been around people that have tried to force themselves on nature. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. No, not at all. No, well, they end up disappointed somehow. Yeah. Something fell short. And even they're like, you know, I really was really hoping this would happen, but it's not that bad. I, I'm glad at least this happened. That's yeah. There's disappointment. No, I don't want any of that. If it doesn't either entertain 
motivate or inspire me, then I've lost out. So you're you're a storyteller. Yeah, I guess I am. You huh? are a storyteller. Everybody, <laughs> I'll put it in the in the in the beginning. But I mean, people should know that you've got uh, two books out right now, and you got another one coming out. But the reason I'm saying this is, uh, I think you and I share the sentiment when you when you go out into the woods. Yep. You're looking forward to. Uh, you're looking forward to creating the story that you don't know is going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Because there's going to be a story, and if you and if you are observant enough, and you're and you allow yourself to get into nature, you're going to observe enough stuff that you're going to have a story. There's always a story. If nothing happens, that's the story. There's always a story. Seldomly, nothing happens. Yeah. No, I mean, if listen, if nothing happens, well, then you just weren't paying attention. Right. That's right. Okay, there's always a story. Well, this has been a good talk. Did you have a good time? Yeah, this is cool. I think we hit everything, right? I think we hit everything. Anything else you want to add? No, that was it. Well, cheers to that one. I hope you enjoyed this episode of In the Seam podcast. As Mark promptly says, nope, that's it. There's a lot to it, actually. I think the one of the coolest things he said was, and I agree with, if you leave nature, if you leave being outside and you don't have a story, you don't have something to remember, then that's your fault. You just weren't observing. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the music also by Jason Maloney. Please check us out on jprossflyrods.com we're growing man we just got a new dealer and things are expanding pretty awesome remember we're here to help you get outside and be happy that's what we exist for yes we make fly rods and we make tools to get outside and fish but we really just care about you being outside and getting happy talk to you soon bye-bye